Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The House of Elliot Smith, Part 1. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. To round out October, we have an incredible three-part series for you, something that came upon us very serendipitously. Recently, I met a wonderful artist named Red Maddox, who lives in a house in Echo Park, California, just minutes from where we record this podcast. It's not just any California bungalow, it's where famed singer-songwriter Elliot Smith lived the last days of his life. Of course, I had to do my own research on this, and in doing so got absolutely sucked back, as I had many years before, into the world, the lyrics, the brooding, hypnotic albums of Elliot Smith. It brought me back to a space of my own youth, my own depression, emotional highs and lows, which was intense, to say the least. After discussing it a bit, Jason and I decided that we wanted to do an in-depth exploration of Elliot Smith, an artist that to both of us means so much and is such an important part of LA music history. And today, October 21st, is the 19-year anniversary of Elliot Smith's death. Today's episode will explore Elliot Smith's life and music. On Wednesday the 26th, we'll give you a physical and metaphysical tour of the home where he spent his final days. And on the 28th, we'll talk about his death specifically and the many complexities and conspiracies around it. This is Ghost Town's three-part series on the musician Elliot Smith. I want to give a quick disclaimer. This episode, along with the second and third episodes, discusses addiction, suicide, and touches upon sexual abuse and police violence. If that's something that you don't want to listen to, we definitely encourage you to skip this episode and the next two episodes. Stephen Paul Smith was born on August 6, 1969, in Omaha, Nebraska, to Bunny K. Berryman, an elementary school music teacher, and Gary Smith, a medical student at the University of Nebraska. Less than a year after his birth, Smith and Berryman decided to divorce. Berryman took Elliot, then Stephen, with her to Texas, whom she raised in Duncanville, a small conservative town outside of Dallas. Since birth, music permeated Smith's life. His mom, whose family was comprised of musicians and music lovers, familiarized Smith with country music. 
1998 interview, Smith says, quote, on my mom's side, everyone was a musician, but no one made a living out of it. Although they were very good technically. My grandfather was a Dixieland jazz drummer. My grandmother sang standards like Moon River. In fact, the song Sweet Adeline was inspired by his grandmother's glee club, the Sweet Adelines. His dad's musical tastes also served as a huge inspiration. Gary Smith would play his young son Bob Dylan and the Beatles. Smith loved folk and pop, and at age five, he decided he wanted to become a bass player. He once told an interviewer, quote, How could you not want to be a bass player after hearing Helter Skelter? Smith would go back and forth from Texas to Portland, where his father Gary Smith had moved. While being big country music people, Smith's mother's family were also big Christians and members of the local Methodist church. Smith felt that going to church did little for him, except make him, quote, really scared of hell. Smith's mother soon remarried in Texas to a man named Charlie Welch, who solidified the importance, of course, along with music, of God and Jesus in Smith's Texas home. Stephen Smith began playing piano at nine, and at age 10, he composed an original piano piece he called Fantasy, which he played in a citywide arts festival in Duncanville. It won him an award and the reputation of being a gifted writer and performer. After a year, he stopped playing piano, and in junior high, Smith started playing clarinet and guitar. He was the first chair in middle school band for three years, serving as band president in eighth grade. And then things began to get complicated a complication that would eat away and torment Smith for the rest of his life. Smith had a troubled relationship with his stepfather, Charlie Welch, stating that he may have been sexually abused by the man. Welch denied that any sexual abuse ever happened, but Smith writes about it extensively in his music, in songs like No Confidence Man, Same Song, and Flowers for Charlie. Around the same time, Smith also began using drugs. At 14, he tried marijuana in the back of his local church, and alcohol at a neighbor's house. The same year, he moved away from Texas to live with his dad full-time in Portland, Oregon. There, the drug use escalated, but so did his experimentation with music. He began recording songs on a four-track, while simultaneously impressing teachers and students alike as the star of the high school band. Later, he sang in local bands Stranger Than Fiction and A Murder of Crows, using his name Stephen Smith, or his stage name Johnny Panic. Stephen Smith graduated Lincoln High School, a National Merit Scholar. He also informally changed his name around that time. According to later interviews, Smith says that Steve sounded too much like a jock, and Stephen was too nerdy, so he went with Elliot. But others have theories as to why Smith went from Stephen to Elliot. Biographer S.R. Shute speculates that Smith's new name was either inspired by Elliot Avenue, a street that Smith had lived on in Portland, or that it was suggested by his then-girlfriend. However, a junior high friend said that Smith changed his name to not be confused with Steve Smith, the drummer for the band Journey, which is also probably a good call. In 1987, the newly renamed Elliot Smith went to Hampshire College and graduated with a degree in philosophy and political science. In a very norm core sentiment, Smith told Under the Radar in 2003 that, quote, at the time it seemed like this is your one and only chance to go to college and you just better do it because someday you might just wish you did. I think my dad may have said the same thing to me at one point in my life. Anyway, after college, as many of us who hold vague liberal arts degrees do, Smith moved back to Portland, where he got a day job working at a bakery. At night, he played around Portland with his band, Heat Miser, that he formed back at Hampshire College. In 1993 and 1994, the band released albums Dead Air, Cop and Speeder, and Yellow Number no. 5 on Frontier Records. 
Frontier is an independent punk and hardcore label who got their start releasing albums from bands including Circle Jerks, Suicidal Tendencies, and The Adolescents. But in 1995, Heatmiser signed to Virgin Records to release their last album, Mike City Sons. Around this time, Smith and his longtime bandmate and friend, Neil Gust, worked odd jobs around Portland, mostly construction or contracting work that included painting, installing drywall, even some light landscaping. They were also big fans of unemployment, which is, in my opinion, the greatest endowment for the arts. Elliot Smith started releasing material on his own while still in Heatmiser, but officially went solo after the band broke up in 1995. The success of his first two solo ventures, Roman Candle and the self-titled album Elliot Smith, on the Kill Rock Stars label led to Heatmiser resenting Smith and contributed to their eventual breakup. In 1996, Smith's iconic album Either Or was released to rave reviews. Says Ron Hart of The Observer, It wasn't until Smith released Either Or on February 25th 1997, that his legend was carved in stone. A genuine pop masterpiece boasting a fuller, richer sound, either or was the launching pad that catapulted Smith from the tiny clubs of Portland to playing the Oscars at the Shrine Auditorium. With either or, Smith established himself as far more than just a master of pastiche. He pushed his deep love for the Beatles to the fore with a sweet, scraggly variation of the kind of intimacy Paul McCartney leaned toward but his disarming, evocative lyrics and elegant yet vulnerable delivery was pure Elliot Smith. On that note, let's take a break. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. In 1997, Elliot Smith's newest album, Either Or, his solo album, is a hit. The title was derived from the two-volume book of the same name by Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, whose writings deal with what Smith would also be known for, despair, death, angst, depression, adjectives that don't do the artist justice as a whole and complicated person that he was. According to a friend and publicist Dorian Gary via Pitchfork, quote, he's been turned into somewhat of an icon, but he was actually a total goofball most of the time. He would prank call me and leave me voicemails. This was before cell phones, so I'd come home and there'd be a message that was him basically doing a whole Jerky Boys skit on the answering machine. At this point, Smith was also taking antidepressants and drinking a lot. While moments of humor came and went, his inner circle knew him in a continual struggle with depression. Eventually, his friend staged an intervention in Chicago, but it was unsuccessful. Shortly after, he moved from Portland to Jersey City and then to Brooklyn, New York. In 1997, Smith was asked to be a part of the Goodwill Hunting soundtrack, and he recorded an orchestral version of Between the Bars with famed composer Danny Elfman for the movie. Smith also contributed a new song called Miss Misery, 
and three previously released tracks, No Name Number 3 from Roman Candle, Angelus, and Say Yes from Either Or. As you may or may not recall, after its release in 1998, Goodwill Hunting was a huge hit, and Smith was nominated for an Academy Award for Miss Misery. At first, he had no interest in performing at the 70th Academy Awards, but eventually caved after producers informed him that if he could not perform, they would have someone else play Miss Misery in his place. Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On won for Best Original Song that year, but Smith didn't seem to care. The Oscar nom led him to stints on Late Night with Conan O'Brien and a new record deal at DreamWorks Records, founded by David Geffen, Steven Spielberg, and Jeffrey Katzenberg. While this was a huge step in Smith's career and something worth celebrating, while performing in North Carolina, Smith ended up drinking heavily and jumping off a cliff. Incredibly, he landed on a tree that broke his fall. Smith ended up staying briefly in an Arizona psychiatric hospital, and after that, he released an album he had been working on, called XO. It peaked at number 104 on the Billboard music charts and became the best-selling release of his career. But according to Dorian Gary, again, quote, The more attention he got, the more troubled he got, and that's when it got hard. The irony of it was that he was so open and honest with pretty much anyone who crossed his path. So it wasn't unlike him to tell a very personal, private story to a virtual stranger sitting next to him at a bar. But it would infuriate him when people asked him what his lyrics were about. He really hated having an answer for what every character in every story was. Music was a way of channeling thoughts and feelings that were bigger than him into art, and he didn't feel like he owed every single person an explanation of what everything was about. In 1999, Smith moved into a cabin in the Silver Lake area of Los Angeles. Smith would frequent the Silver Lake Lounge, the Echo, and other spots right in our neck of the woods. In the fall, his cover of the Beatles' Because was featured in the Oscar-winning drama American Beauty. On April 19, 2000, Smith's fifth and final album was released, called Figure Eight. While some thought it was him selling out to the corporate patronage of DreamWorks, others received Figure Eight as a complicated, rich love letter to his musical inspirations, including the Beatles. It was even partially recorded at Abbey Road Studios in England. The album peaked at number 99 on the Billboard charts and became Smith's most popular and best-selling album. You might know the cover of this album, which has, in some people's minds, become a ubiquitous symbol of LA's alternative music identity. The album is Smith in front of a white wall painted with swirling black and red stripes in front of Solutions Audio Video Repair, located on a commercial stretch of Sunset Boulevard. You cannot miss it. Taken by photographer Autumn DeWild, the wall still exists almost as it was back in 1999, its preservation acting as kind of a memorial to Smith. If you've been on dating apps, well, it's almost a rite of passage to have a photo in front of the wall on your profile. Almost as popular as Angel Wings or the Lacma Streetlights. But as great as this album was and how his career was absolutely ascending, Smith himself was getting worse. Somewhere in this time period, Elliot Smith became addicted to heroin. He transformed into a profoundly unhappy, gaunt, and paranoid person, marked by strange behaviors that distanced himself from friends, family, and collaborators. Believing people at DreamWorks were out to get him and that a white van followed him wherever he went, Smith would have friends drop him off for recording sessions almost a mile away from the studio. Then he'd run through hundreds of yards of brush and cliffs so he would go undetected. He ate mostly ice cream and slept in spurts, staying up for days on end. His longtime business relationships became strained or broken, and due to this, a follow-up album to Figure Eight was abruptly abandoned. Soon after, Smith sent a message to his DreamWorks executives, stating that if they did not release him from his contract, he would take his own life. 
In May of 2001, Smith set out to re-record what he had started with DreamWorks, with help from musician David McConnell. McConnell told Spin that, during this time, Smith would smoke over $1,500 worth of heroin and crack per day, and would often talk about suicide. And on numerous occasions, he would try to give himself an overdose. That same year, Smith's song Needle in the Hay was included in Wes Anderson's 2001 dark comedy film, The Royal Tenenbaums. In the scene where the song plays, Richie Tenenbaum, played by Luke Wilson, is attempting suicide. Smith was originally supposed to contribute another song to the film, but he didn't complete it in time. Wes Anderson would later say that Smith was, quote, in a bad state, and audiences in 2001 and 2002 agreed. Smith's performances were portraits of a musician struggling with addiction. He was more haggard than ever, forgetting lyrics and stumbling around on stage. Critics called his performances at this time, quote, an excruciating nightmare. On November 25th, 2002, Smith got into a fight with the LAPD at a Flaming Lips concert. Smith later said that he was defending a man he thought the police was harassing, and officers arrested him and his girlfriend Jennifer Chiba. After this, Smith attempted to go to rehab several times, most notably at the Neurotransmitter Restoration Center in Beverly Hills. On August 6, 2003, Smith's 34th birthday, he gave up alcohol. With things improving for Smith after a couple of years, he began experimenting with noise music. On September 19, 2003, Smith had his final show at Red Fest at the University of Utah. The last song he ever played was Long, Long, Long by the Beatles. Almost a month after his last performance, Elliot Smith was living with his girlfriend, Jennifer Chiba, at his home on Lemoyne Street in Echo Park, California, minutes from where we're recording this episode right now. There, the two argued, and according to Chiba, she locked herself in the bathroom to take a shower. Then she heard Smith scream and opened the door. Outside the bathroom, Chiba saw Smith standing with a knife in his chest. Frantically, she pulled the knife out and called 911. Elliot Smith died on October 21st, 2003, at the age of 34, on the way from his home to the hospital. Before Smith's remains were cremated, the coroner's report notes no traces of illegal substances or alcohol in his system, only prescribed levels of antidepressants, ADHD, and anti-anxiety medications. While his death was reported as a suicide, the official autopsy report released in December of 2003 left open the question of homicide, as Smith's body had no hesitation wounds or attempts at self-harm that usually come before a suicide. Due to the inconclusive autopsy ruling, the Los Angeles Police Department's investigation remains open. Now that you have some background on this iconic and troubled musician on the day of his death, we'll be releasing part two and part three of Ghost Town's exploration of Elliot Smith on Wednesday and next Friday. In these episodes, we were incredibly lucky to receive exclusive access into the house Smith lived in and explore the musician's complicated and controversial death with historians and friends. Here's a little taste of what you're in for. So this is the space where Elliot was trying to be revived. There was a lot of blood. This used to be carpeted. This has obviously been painted over, but there's carvings in here, if you look closely. So I'm just going to spill it. I don't think it's haunted. I think it... It gets visitors. It's almost like you can't, like choking, like you can't breathe. 
Like, that book has fallen off that shelf so many times. Almost like I tasted blood. So, this is a collection of stuff that's been left behind. Something fucked up, I think, happened in this room. And then I hear this demonic voice saying, this is my favorite volume. In addition, Ghost Town will be making a donation in Smith's name to the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Today, play a track from either or, or whatever your favorite Elliot Smith song is, and appreciate the musician's enduring talent and spirit. See you next week. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.